Paul begins the passage for our sermon today in Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 13, with the word, So, so, or sometimes translated, therefore. And so to know what he is talking about when he's going to say what he's going to say today, what we already read, you have to go back in the reading. You have to go back to the first part of Ephesians chapter 3 to see what the therefore is talking about. What is his argument here based on? So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart. And so to summarize the first part of Ephesians chapter 3, we'll try and do it rather quickly so we can get on to the reading. Paul is reflecting in Ephesians 3 about his experience with the gospel itself. He says that it was granted to him a special dispensation or a special stewardship of the mystery of God's plan of salvation. He calls it a stewardship that he was given. We've talked a lot about stewardship over the last year. You know what it means that he was given to take care of this thing for a certain purpose. He was given this gift to know God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he was given to steward that to other people, given to share that gospel with other people in the same way that you steward your money for the church. He was given to share that gospel that he himself was given with the Gentiles. He said he was given this special stewardship by God to reveal what he calls the unsearchable riches of Christ, which goes along with our reading for today, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the mystery of God's plan of salvation. Now, the word mystery in Greek, whenever you read it in your New Testament, know that it's not talking about how we use the word mystery like a mystery novel where we don't really know what's going to happen. The word mystery in the New Testament means something revealed. It's the mystery solved, the mystery made known. And so Paul has this mystery, which cannot be explained in pure words, but this mystery of God's gospel, this mystery of the salvation of Christ, given to him, revealed to him, so that he can reveal it to others. And as he's talking about that, In the first part of Ephesians chapter 3, he ends up in this place where he says, and now through the church, through the ministry of this New Testament church that Paul is partaking in, that he is in some sense even leading in the Gentile mission, this special stewardship he's been given, through through that ministry of that church, God's manifold wisdom, his ununderstandable wisdom, God's pure heavenly wisdom, has been made known not only on earth to the people to whom it is preached, but it has been made known to the authorities and the powers in heavenly places. Paul will elsewhere talk about how our battle in this world is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the powers and principalities of the heavenly places, the things that are unseen, the angels, the demons, the entire unseen realm that we cannot behold with our eyes. And so, 
What he is saying there is that this mystery of the gospel is so incredible, this message of salvation, God's plan of salvation, the plan he first spoke to Adam when he said, you will have a seed, Eve will have a seed that will crush the head of the serpent. That plan of salvation all through the Old Testament, all through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, all through the life of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, he is now raised from the dead. That plan has come to fruition. And people doubted all along. People still doubt today. But through the ministry of the church, God's wisdom in that plan has been made known. Jesus is risen from the dead. It is true. No one can deny it. Only the fool says in his heart there is no God. No one can deny what God has done when you see that Jesus is risen from the dead. When you see your sins forgiven. When you see Christ lifted high on the cross. No one can deny it. That message has been made known not only on this earth, but the devil himself knows it. The angels in heaven knows it. Everyone knows that it cannot be denied. The mystery of salvation is here. It is spreading throughout the nations. It is being preached to the nations. It is being preached so powerfully that even the authorities, the powers, and principalities in the heavenly places know it. It cannot be denied. And because of that, because of the surety of the gospel, because... Jesus is risen from the dead. There is no doubt. He ends in verse 12, that section of Ephesians 3. We have boldness and confidence in our access to him, our heavenly father. We have access to God. We have confidence in his plan of salvation. He has said it is true and he has proven it is true because Jesus is no longer in the tomb, because he is reigning over heaven and earth and everyone knows it. We have access through faith in Jesus Christ to our heavenly father. And so, therefore, if all of that is true, if all of that is the case, Do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, what is Paul suffering? What he is suffering makes what he just said when he wrote that even more amazing. What he is suffering is that he is in prison for the sake of preaching that gospel. He is in prison for the sake of the ministry, which he says makes known the manifold wisdom of God, even to the heavenly places. And how can he, if he is in prison, have so much confidence? How can he, if he is suffering, eating the bread and water of prison, suffering in a prison cell, not having a house, not having a home, not being able to be with the other people of God, how can he be so joyful, so confident, so bold in what he says about God? He says, don't lose heart over what I am suffering. What's funny is he himself is not worried about being in prison. In fact, he himself thinks it's great. (laughs) He gets to keep writing to his churches, like to the Philippians and the Ephesians. 
And he gets to, you know this from the story in Acts with the Philippian jailer, even when he's not preaching the gospel by writing the words of Holy Scripture, he's converting the jail guards. As long as Paul gets to keep preaching this gospel, it's because this gospel is so powerful, because it's powerful enough even to proclaim to the heavenly places, he doesn't care. He's fine with it. He says, this is great. I get to be here. I get to write. I get to proclaim. I get to preach the gospel. That gospel is so powerful that it does not even matter to him. But you can read between the lines. It does matter to the Ephesians. The Ephesians are losing heart over the fact that their missionary, that their pastor, has been put in prison for proclaiming the gospel. They start to doubt. They start to doubt, is all this really true? If this is so true, why is our Paul, why is our pastor in prison? What is going to happen to the mission of the church? And you can tell by other things that Paul writes into Ephesians. They're going through their own struggles. They don't know exactly how to order their lives all the time. That's why he spends all of chapters 5 and 6 talking about how to order your life according to God's creation. It is easy for them to lose heart. It is easy to lose heart. It is easy for you to lose heart. It's easy to lose heart in the mission of the church. I think you, who are members here at Beautiful Savior, know this as good as anyone you participate in. In what we're calling a church revitalization or a replant. It's a mission, like the mission to the Ephesians. And in mission, there are ups and downs. I've been involved in some sort of church planting for the last four or five years, and I can tell you there are ups and downs, there are ebbs and flows. Sometimes it seems like things are going really, really well, and then all of a sudden, attendance becomes sporadic. Sometimes it seems like things are going downhill, but then there's glimmers of hope that arise when new people are baptized and confirmed and hear the gospel anew. There are ups and downs. You look at the world and you see that the persecution is getting heavier and heavier, that the world is more and more opposed to what we are doing here, and you start to doubt what happens if. What happens if we go to war? What happens if we lose members? What happens if the gas prices go back up again? It's so easy to start to lose heart. Not only in the mission of the church, that's one way, but also in your own life, you know the ebbs and flows of the Christian life. You know how the devil daily bombards you with temptations. The same sin that you've struggled with for so long, you think it's gone, but then there's the thorn in the side again. You look at the world and you see all the wars and all the violence and all the hunger and all the injustice. And it's easy to lose heart. Your own sinful nature rears its ugly head and you become prideful and you start to think like the Ephesians. 
You forget who orders the world and which ways your life should be ordered and chaos starts to creep in and you don't know what to do when things just seem like they are falling apart. It is easy to lose heart, to lose hope, to start to think you don't know if it is truly all going to work out. You start to wonder if the will of God is really always best like the hymn so beautifully says. But remember, Paul is calling you, he is calling the Ephesians today to remember. Remember what he said at the beginning of the chapter. Therefore, therefore do not lose heart. Therefore, because God's plan of salvation has come true, what was first spoken to Adam and Eve and now has come true because Jesus is risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty and is reigning from there and reigning in your life. Concerning what is the will for you in your life, the will of God is always best. Jesus is risen from the dead. It is true. He has forgiven your sin. He has given you new life. He has put all things under his footstool. We cannot see it clearly yet, but the day will come. The day is coming when what is even already known by the devil, what is already known by the converted nations, what is already known by the powers and principalities in the heavenly places will become clear to everyone, even to you, on your hardest days. So remember that Jesus is risen. Remember that God's plan of salvation has been accomplished. Remember that the manifold wisdom of God is known, and you can see it, and you can hold it, and you can trust that the will of God is always best, even when you're not sure if it seems that way at all. But remember what Paul says, and don't lose heart. In fact, the suffering, the hardship, he says, it is for your glory. Because as you go through the sufferings, as you go through the hardships, you grow more and more in the grace, in the wisdom, in the love of Christ, which is what he's going to get to next. But the first thing he does is when he realizes the beauty and the majesty and the wisdom and the mercy unending of God, he gets on his knees and he prays. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. Therefore, do not lose heart because all these things are true. And for this reason, because all these things are true, I must bow my knee. When I see the manifold wisdom of God, when I see the glory of God in Jesus Christ risen from the dead, I cannot do anything but worship, but prostrate myself before him. So instead of sulking for yourself, which would be what many sinners would be tempted to do in Paul's position in being in prison, Instead of sulking for the persecution that comes, instead of sulking over the hardships that come in your life, Paul says we give thanksgiving in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. We get on our knees and we bow before the Father in our sufferings because when we suffer, we suffer with Christ. 
Christ suffered first. We suffer with him. What's the worst that can happen? What's the absolute worst that can happen? You could be thrown in prison. You could be tortured. And you could die. But guess what? To die in Christ is gain. Even if I die, yet shall I live. And so if I die, I die in Christ, and then I'm in eternal glory with him, singing his praises. And if I don't die, and if I get to live on this earth, and if I don't get thrown in prison, guess what I get to do? I get to keep proclaiming his praises. You can't lose as one who has faith in Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, because Jesus didn't lose. He won. He was victorious, and your victory is in him. You have already won. The victory is already yours. What's the worst that can happen? You are invincible when you have faith in Christ. And so when Paul prays, he prays thanking God for this gift that he has been given, but he also prays, even more amazing, For the Ephesians, because he knows his life is already hidden in Christ, his life doesn't matter. I talk a lot about Paul because Paul is a source of inspiration and motivation for the Christian and because God used him to write Holy Scripture. Paul doesn't really care about himself, though. He could pray for himself. He's in prison suffering. But instead, he prays for the church. Instead, he prays for you. And when he prays, he goes on this kind of argument, if you will, a rhetorical structure that you kind of have to pay attention to because he keeps saying, so that, so that, so that, as he goes through what he says, because one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And when he gets to the end, we'll see the most amazing thing that he wants you to know, that he prays for you for. The first thing he prays, He gets on his knees and he prays that you would be strengthened through the power of the Spirit in your inner being. He gets to the heart, literally, the heart of the matter first. That you would have the Spirit in your heart. That is, that you would have faith in Christ. And as that Spirit works in you, as that Spirit has taken out the heart of stone that you had and put in a heart of flesh, He gives you a new will to cooperate with God, to work with God, to love God and love your neighbor more and more that you would be sanctified. But the word He uses is most important that you would be strengthened. Because when those sufferings come, when those hardships come, when you're not sure if things are going to work out, when you start to lose heart, what you need is strength. Strength to power through. Strength to keep going. Strength to not give up hope on what you know is true from the manifold wisdom of God. That you would have strength through the Spirit in your inner being so that, what does that lead to? so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Because when you have the Spirit, that means you have faith in Christ. And when you have the Spirit, you also have Christ. Christ and the Spirit cannot be separated. The Spirit brings us to Christ. Christ brings us the Spirit, that Christ would dwell in your hearts. And as we'll see, what he's getting to is that Christ is what you need in your heart to be fulfilled. But first, that you would just have Christ there dwelling in your heart through faith in him, through your trust in him. 
And that trust is strengthened by the Spirit working. These things go together. That you would be rooted and grounded in love. The Spirit working in you brings Christ into your heart, which roots you, which grounds you. You're like a tree planted by streams of water, planted deep, nourished deeply in love. The love of God and the love of neighbor and the love that Christ has for you, rooted and grounded in love. So that now, having Christ dwelling in your heart, the spirit working in you, rooted and grounded in love, working more and more strength, that you would have the strength. Verse 18, to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And what Paul is getting at here is truly profound. One of our problems when we come through sufferings and we come through hardships is that we try and figure it out ourselves. We try and think that we have enough in ourselves to get it taken care of. What Paul is saying about Christ is that he and his love especially are broad and deep and high and long, broader and deeper and higher and longer than we can possibly even know. Yet he wants us to comprehend it. It is broader and longer and deeper and wider than we could possibly have in ourselves through ourselves. It is broader and deeper and longer and wider and higher. I keep getting them completely out of order. But it is so deep and so broad and so high and so wide and so long, more than the world could ever offer. What he's talking about here, this is why he uses the term mystery to describe these things, is because even though it has been revealed, we cannot fully understand it. It is so amazing. But that you would comprehend it, that you would know that it is there and that amazing. The gospel itself. The thing that makes Paul so excited. And then, so that having that strength to comprehend those things, to then know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. We cannot know in ourselves, we cannot have it in ourselves, we cannot work it for ourselves. The love of Christ surpasses knowledge, and yet we get to know it. How beautiful is that? So that finally, this final piece of the argument, you may be filled with the fullness of God. We try to fill up ourselves. We try to find a way to fulfill ourselves. But God fills us in a way that we cannot fill ourselves, and it is only through the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ that is broad and deep and high and wide. To know that love, that love which is brought to us through the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead, through the fact that God has worked his salvation, through the wisdom of God worked throughout the ages so that you would have that love even today, 2,000 years later, after Jesus was risen from the dead, 
That love is yours and it fills you. It fills you up in a way that you cannot even describe. It fills Paul up in a way that even when he is in prison, he can say the only thing that he can say when he has fallen on his knees and he can do nothing else. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or all that we could think when we suffer and when we go through hardships, we don't even know what to pray for. But God knows. He is able to do it. He is able to accomplish it. He is able to fill you up to him who is able to do so, to him who has the manifold wisdom even made known to the devil and to the angels, to him who has accomplished his plan of salvation, to him who has risen Jesus Christ from the dead, to him be all the glory and honor in the church, to Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.